0: This is no ordinary pod. Cha! No ordinary pod. This is no ordinary pod. Cha cha! No ordinary pod.
1: Yes, 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 it is an no ordinary pod on the no ordinary Pod and Radio St. Pete Network. I am. One of your hosts, Michael Duggar. The other other host who just welcomed you to this podcast is Noah Hemer. Noah, how are you doing after a long Labor Day weekend with your friends and family?
0: Doing really well, you know, trying to get recharged back up. Um, got some calories to burn off after the uh, copious amounts of beer that I drank. But other than that, you know, it's been a good time.
1: It's good to hear. It's good to hear. And uh, you went to the FSU game, but we'll get into that a little bit later. You have a quick hurricane update for the people.
0: Yeah, so, you know, we do weather here. Um, Dorian, a lot of people said they were like, I'm not really feeling like it's going to hit anything. And, well, those people may be uh, all right as of now. It's just kind of skirting up the East Coast. Um, the hurricane that was pressuring it down, that was th- making people think it was going to go across, kind of dissipated. Um, so it's kind of going right up the East Coast. But... Um, it's only beginning of September. We're only in the beginning of hurricane season. We got a couple of other storms up brewing to kind of keep your eyes out on. Um, in the Gulf, right off the coast of Mexico, just south of the tip of Texas, we have a storm, Tropical Storm Ferdinand. Um, that one is supposed to be going towards Louisiana area. Um, and then we also have another one right in the middle of the Atlantic, um, and Gabrielle, and then we have another one off the coast of Africa that is also rumored to be coming across towards continental U.S., so hurricane season's here, um, hopefully, hopefully everyone can stay safe, it's nice that Dorian uh, destroyed the Bahamas, but all prayers out to those people, but it is skirting right up the uh, east coast, so should be minimal damage except to those coast towns. But, you know, this is no um, irregular thing for them. They're they're kind of not used to it, but they should be ready for some big storms um, being on the coast. So other than that, um, I looked at the highest high, lowest low. It's still uh, 118 in Death Valley, and <laughs> it's still 25 degrees in Montana. So... Um, uh-
1: that 25 degrees sounds pretty great right now.
0: I would take it. But
1: it's um it's like I like I say when I talk about the weather, the heat doesn't get to me that much, but sometimes you just want to throw on a hoodie and sweatpants and high white socks and just go outside and just sit there and just be like it's it's cold but it feels good. But yeah, hurricanes, I mean, I wasn't welcoming the hurricane to Tampa, but you know, we're kind of like a hurricane bubble here where we don't get hit that hard and I haven't seen a hurricane in a while. Actually I've never been in a hurricane, but I do miss some tropical depression winds. you know. Keeps the heart rate up, keeps the keeps the mind roll, keeps the mind going, you know, you get in survival mode a little bit, lose power, light a candle, read a book, all the just go back to the basics and stuff. Even though I'd probably just turn on my hotspot on my phone and go on the internet and my computer, but that's the story for another day. We're here to talk quick NFL transaction stuff, get into Florida State football, and then then a quick recap of the weekend. It wasn't the biggest weekend in college football, but we just had breaking news this morning. As we're recording this on 8-16, uh, August 4th, Ezekiel Elliott signed his deal finally. We didn't—we previewed the Cowboys on the, in, in two different spheres where we said, hey, one, on one hand, with Zeke, he's playing 16 games. This is what we think. And then you said 12-13 to 13 games. That would be the ceiling for for you not—for Zeke's absence to not affect their win total. But Zeke's here. Signed a six year ninety million dollar contract, fifty million guaranteed, comes out to fifteen million per year. I think it makes him the highest paid running back, richest contract for a running back ever. So Deke gets his deal. He's locked up with Dallas until twenty twenty seven. Which is crazy to oh, think wow. which is crazy to think about. But that completes one third of the triplets, the quote unquote baby triplets, because they locked in Lyle Collins, right tackle for five years, talented guy from LSU, who the Cowboys took a chance on. Uh, they have Jalen Smith locked up for three years. Leighton Vanderej is still under team control for four years. A lot of good things with this team. Just quick thoughts. I mean, it's not really a shock. This is more of a fantasy implications because you can play Zeke week one, most likely, because he's been keeping himself in shape with Marshall Falk running doing workouts on the beaches of Mexico, which I think is a lot more effective on your body than being in training camp and preseason games. But, Noah, what quickly what are your thoughts on this as the Cowboys get this deal done for Week 1?
0: I'm glad that the Cowboys are prioritizing their needs to be successful for their team. They signed Jalen Smith, linebacker, inside linebacker to a contract extension. They signed Lyle Collins, one of their he was he would have been a first, second top one or two day 2 day 1 day 2 pick in the NFL draft if he wouldn't have had was it domestic violence issues um, that came out right before the draft?
1: Let um, me look at had.
0: He, I think it was domestic violence issues that really got cleared, but everyone was super scared. Teams were very apprehensive. No scouts went to be like, yeah, draft this guy, because if it busts, you're out of a job. Um, but they are building the foundation of it. They're going to get uh, Amari Cooper on a long-term deal. Next is Dak and you have all the bargaining chips in the world with Dak, if you're the Cowboys, in my opinion, because you got Zeke, you got the offensive line, you got the defense pretty much squared away, ready to go. You tell Dak, essentially, we don't need you to win, but we would like you to take us to championships because, A, we're loyal and respect you and what you've done for this franchise and coming in after Tony Romo, and B, we think you can get us there, but we are not going to make you the highest-paid quarterback in NFL history. It's not, he's not going to get the fat contract because if they do do that, it will completely dismantle everything that they're building towards because you cannot have two extremely high-paid running back quarterback and expect the rest of the team to be able to follow suit. Patriots haven't done it ever.
1: It wouldn't shock me if Dak got $35 million.
0: No, no, but to but to be in the realm of like the 40 plus that he was rumored um I I don't see that as attainable. Uh let me do this. I'm curious just for comparison's sake. Um I'm just looking at the largest uh quarterback the largest quarterback contracts um just give me what are your thoughts on the on the Cowboys situation being more of an eagles guy in my opinion
1: i i'm on the fence between cat i have i have still two days pick pick uh, pick between the cowboys and eagles coming out of the nfc because i'm most likely going to stick with one of them although i do have another another team we haven't talked about yet two more teams i haven't talked about them i think are other viable Super Bowl threats but I mean it's I'm happy Zeke gets paid you're always happy when athletes get paid they held he held out I mean I'm not one of these people who says like he stood up for the running backs and deal with that because I think every con every contract like this especially running back should be viewed through a uh, con should should be viewed with some context Because Melvin Gordon's holding out and he's not going to get his money from the Chargers he's not because he's not Ezekiel Elliott talent running back it's just I mean I love Melvin Gordon but Zeke's a different animal and about the paying terms of it if you pay all this team you pay this team and you have to fork out 35 40 million a Dak because that's what the market is just to keep your 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 window open I'd personally rather pay that than go into free agency or go into the draft and try to find another Dak Prescott because the hardest thing in sports and in football is finding your quarterback and once you have that quarterback, you should do everything in your power to build your team around him. Whether you view Dak ceiling as a Super Bowl cha- champion or a divisional championship exit every for consistently, that's 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 in the eye of that's in your own eyes. I view I think that the Cowboys going to Super Bowl with Dak. Forty million overpay, sure, but you are what the market says you are, and Dak is probably going to get that
0: forty million. Just for comparison's sake, uh, according to overthecap.com, uh, Russell Wilson, highest paid quarterback per year at thirty-five, then it's Big Ben, and then Aaron Rodgers at thirty three and a half. Carson Wentz is at thirty-two, and to round up, thirty plus is Matt Ryan at thirty million dollars a year. If he is in the if he if he's thirty-five between thirty-five and thirty eight I really think that's what the Cowboys are going to have to pull the trigger on. Um, I'm curious to see what the contract details are going to be of Zeke's contract and see how they front-loaded or back-loaded or evenly disperse the cash for the cap space because Mm. I have a feeling that that's how they're going to kind of maneuver with however Dax... Because you can back-load Dax's contract and make it almost Because the cap goes up. Yeah, and uh, and almost have them flip and be tanned and like... Front load Zeke's contract, back load Dak's contract type of thing. So you don't have two heavy players taking huge cap. It's maybe in the middle you will, but hopefully those are your Super Bowl winning years.
1: I'm trying to look. But, mm. it's, yeah, it's not clear when it will be announced. They don't have those, um, according to this ESPN article. It's usually, by not just, it's usually not Tom a couple
0: Archer. of days until mm-hmm. probably by the end of the week. Yeah, or so. they the press.
1: They're introducing, they're announcing it tomorrow at a press conference. But you have any, uh, you have any other Deek thought Zeke thoughts? Don't know why I the Deek thoughts. I don't know why I, said Deke I, don't know why. I like a hockey commercial Deek. But you have any other Zeke thoughts before we move on?
0: No, I think, uh, I think we covered all of it in our uh, NFC recap. So,
1: all right, let's transition to another. Texas team in the NFL and that is the Houston Texans who made a lot of waves on Saturday. They kind of dominated the the he- kind of took some headlines away from college football because they fi- Javion Clowney finally got traded and he was traded to the Seattle Seahawks for a 2020 third rounder, Barcavis Mingo and Jacob Martin, who is a who was a sixth round pick, six six-round pick in last year's draft. He's the D lineman. Uh they also they also then decided to fill that hole at left tackle desperately by trading for Laramie Tunsell and they got Kenny Stills along with the fourth rounder in 2020's draft for the 2020 first rounder, 2021 first rounder, and a 2021 second rounder for Miami. Miami, we'll get to Miami's draft draft capital in a second, but let's start with the Clowney trade. It's clear they didn't get enough for Clowney so let's not even look at this on a Houston side of things because we'll look at we'll analyze Houston in a second. How big of a move is Clowney for Seattle?
0: It we talked about it in the NFC West when we previewed that, and I'm huge on Seattle this year. I think their run game is going to continue to be dominant, um, just with the sheer volume that they have. I think Russell Wilson is getting into the prime of his career and really understanding that he needs to take over this team. Our concerns with Seattle was, will they be able to stop the run? Are they going to be able to get enough pressure on the quarterback to protect their secondary that's not elite, like the Legion of Boom, but is good enough um, if you can combine it with some pressure? You, this takes the team to the next level because, and not only in terms of just a pass rush, not even in terms of uh, what it's going to do for the secondary, but... Now you're not just worried about Bobby Wagner. If Jadavion Clowney is taken on double teams, that is just more space for Bobby Wagner to roam and do whatever he does best. Not that Jadavion Clowney is a space eater, but he's one of the best run defenders in the NFL. One of the best outside. Put your hand in the dirt, um, whether you have him at a over the tackle, in between the tackle and the guard, or even outside, he's going to dominate whoever is across from him. And with the Rams, I don't think the Rams are going to be able to contain the Seattle defense. I think this is going to be the best Seattle defense we've seen since they won the Super Bowl.
1: I mean, if, that, if, if Ziggy Ons is healthy, this pass rushing tandem is, is phenomenal. Ziggy, All signs are pointing towards Ziggy being ready and stuff. And the big thing with clowning that I see is, is that he played outside linebacker. In a 3-4 his whole entire time in Houston. If you go back and watch him at South Carolina, he was a 4-3 edge rusher, could move inside, do a lot of different things. He's he's more comfortable being an edge rusher. He's not going to be asked to drop in coverage. He's not going to be asked to chase tight ends and man coverage, drop in, in the flat zone and stuff like that. He's going to Pete Carroll's going to say, hey, rush the passer and set the edge against the run. And Clowney is going to... And Clowney's excited to play there. His his old teammate, Dwayne Brown, who's the left tackle for Seattle, sold him on the city and the team and the col- culture, culture, culture. And the culture of Seattle, which made Clowney want to be traded there, Agree to sign his tender, and agree to most likely sign an extension. And if they don't sign an extension, they'll probably flip him for a second-round pick like they did with Frank Clark, which is crazy. But I don't think they're going to do that because Clowney's a game-changer and he's still 26 years old. So for Seattle, it's a phenomenal move. You gave up a third-round pick. Barcavis Mingo and Jacob Martin, and we talked about you talked about Mingo needing to take a step forward, continue taking a step f- forward for Seattle to even be good, relevant. To if that D line to be good and relevant, yet they just upgraded with Jadavion Clowney, who is still a f- dominant player. So I love this move for Seattle. And now let's look at the totality of this for Houston because the H- Houston just Houston doesn't have. Any draft picks to work with. And now their defense is, is terrible. Even more so, there's maybe two blue-chip players, and that's J.J. Watt and, uh, and Merciless. But their offense got better. They did improve their left tackle. They did improve their biggest area of weakness on this whole team. Offensive lineman, Larry Bittunsel, 25-year-old O-lineman. He fell in the, he was a top-five pick, fell, fell in the draft. It was a crazy situation during the draft where... A photo was released of him wearing a bong gas mask, taking a hit. And, you know, his agent had to go in deny mode and all that stuff. Ended up falling to Miami at 13. It's been a pretty decent, you know. Everyone's talking about how he's going to reset the the tackle market because he's a 25-year-old tackle with plenty of potential and is due for, is in a contract year, so he's going to have to get paid a lot of money. And he... he it took all the leverage from Houston. So they did that. They also bring in Kenny Stills with the oft injured Will Will Ferrell and Kiki Cootie. So how do you like the Miami trade? Don't don't worry about we'll get into the capital in a second. We'll get into the capital on the Miami side. But Houston's going for it this year's with the Andrew Luck window being shut, essentially, for most most people think that. And they're going for it. So how do you view the additions of Kenny Stills and Larry Tunson to the Houston's offense and Houston as a whole?
0: I'm a huge Kenny Stills guy. Um I think it's interesting how he get he gets traded or gets impo- gets involved in a trade after the whole Jay Z type of thing that happened earlier in training camp. Um, just I, I,
1: sabotagement I, via owner,
0: yeah. Um, in terms of offensive production, I think it gives them the depth at receiver that they need because I'm not saying Kenny Stills is Will Fuller but if Will Fuller goes down Kenny Stills is more than capable of filling in on that Will Fuller role that they have in that offense he can take you deep and he is good at it he's just never really had a quarterback to build chemistry with that's going to get him the ball consistently Deshaun Watson is that guy it's nice that they finally got him a little bit of protection because, like you were saying with Andrew Luck, the reason that Andrew Luck's not in the NFL anymore is because they did not protect him the first, what, five, six years he was in the NFL. He was, like, Boise State's quarterback this weekend, always on the ground. I'd never seen a true freshman quarterback be on the ground more. But that, it, it, if you can't protect your franchise quarterback, then what's the point? Look at Dak. Dak's had great career success, has always had protection. They traded away their starting left tackle to Seattle last year, so it's nice to finally see that they get a blue-chip replacement with Larry Tunzel, kind of get some more quality depth of receiver because after Will Fuller, Kiki Cootie's had some injury hiccups this, past, uh, this preseason, so we'll see how he holds up through the duration of the season, but if either of those two go down, you have a serviceable guy, a more than serviceable guy to come in in Kenny Stills. This team is not going to run the ball at all.
1: I mean, they <clears throat> they did trade for Carlos Hyde, but yeah, I don't see them really saying, "Hey, we're going to run the ball inside the tackles." They're they're going they have so much receiver talent in receiving, and their main back Duke Johnson should be a strictly not strictly, but he should be a pass utilizing the pass game, where you're just going to want Watson to throw a bunch of times. And that, and now you see why Evan Silva had Deshaun Watson as, a t- as his QB one in fantasy purposes because Houston's defense is terrible, and Texans are going to have to run, going to have to score a lot of points, keep up with them, and they're not going to be able to run the ball that much. There's, it's just there's just not really a path forward for them to be a successful running team. So, yeah, I like I like Stills. I liked him in New Orleans. He was effective in Miami, even with the the turnstile of quarterbacks from Matt Moore to Brock Osweiler to Ryan Tannehill just never seemed up so I'm sure he hap- he's happy to be on a contending team uh, but let's go to his former team qu- real quick the Dolphins they now own in 2020 I need to fix this mic volume thing man really really bothers me mid-podcast anyway so if my voice fluctuates that's why so they're they're t- 2020 picks. They have their own and the Texans in the first round. Their own and the Saints in the second round. Own in a projected compensatory uh, compensatory pick. I can't pronounce that word right now. In the third, their own and the Titans in the fourth. A fifth round projected comp- uh, compensatory pick again. I don't know why I can't pro- can't we pronounce that word.
0: Compensatory. Compensation. Yeah, I- compensatory.
1: Yeah. Okay. I I was making sure I was pronouncing it somewhat right. Sixth round they're at their own in the Cowboys. Chief. And then the seventh round they have their own in the Chiefs. For those who are in the math, that is thirteen picks in this draft. And then in twenty twenty one, they have the Texans first and second round picks. So we talked we talked about this in the preview. We talked about this in the summer. Dolphins are going in for the rebuild and they have a lot of stuff they could do right now. And this is this this could be a very I don't know hot takey because we love the Bills future here. Jets were more were on the fence about, but I think we're leaning towards them being a, a solid team. I think the Dolphins rebuilds going to take a lot less time than we think.
0: A lot less. Oh, time this is this is a this is a after those two drafts, this team is going to be if they draft well. Hit on I, I don't know. Doesn't even have to hit on all their picks. Just hit on most of their picks. Just the 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 majority of their picks. They're hit on majority of your picks, and if Rosen if you decide that Rosen is your guy and you can start building things around him, I love what the Dolphins are doing. They just if, cleared house, cleared house, cleared house, cleared mm-hmm. house. All right, cool. We have, we completely have a new foundation. Let's just start building it exactly how we like it. That's what some teach, honestly, that's what the Bucks should have done at some point under the cutter regime is be like, this, this team is not where we want it. This team is not going to be good enough. We are not in the, business of competing to win to win championships yet. This is this is a roster that I don't like. It's clear house, get draft capital, mm. start over. No, enough teams don't have the cojones to get themselves to do that. Nope. But it's when the... you do it, look at the Browns. The Dolphins are going to be there.
1: There there's there's always room for the Sashi Brown. What he did what he do is right debate. What he did was Yeah, it's the same thing with the 76ers. The plan was right, but there comes a time where you have to get, you have to make the correct decisions. You have to make smart draft picks. And that's where Sashi lacked. I think the Dolphins hopefully are different than that. But especially if Rosen proves to be the guy, if Rosen proves to be a guy, those two first round picks in both those years instantly become three, three picks, maybe even more second round picks. Because you still have Rosen. But here's the thing. Even if you don't like Rosen, Tua, Herbert, you're in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. There are just endless opportunities for this team to build. And they have so many draft picks, which equals so many cheap contracts and a boatload of cap space. And guess what? It's Miami. You want to live in Miami. People still want to live in Miami. A lot of NFL talent comes from Miami and the Florida area. So,
0: no state income tax,
1: no state income tax. So, Miami's going to be, I think it's going to be a two to three. They're a year away, they're two years away from being two years away. Right when Brady's gone, I think the Dolphins are going to have the infrastructure and draft capital if they continue this trade up. Good for them, though. Uh, I think the
0: AFC East has the capability of being one of the most interesting divisions in the NFL over the next three or four years, the most unique division at the very least. You have the historic perennial New England Patriots that have been doing what they've been doing for over almost two decades at this point. You have the jets who are built on their slow. Adam Gase is the only reason why I'm like eh, on their rebuild, but they have a solid rookie quarterback with some talent around there. That, that defense is solid bills are doing it the right way with Josh Allen feeding into his strengths, playing a lot of defense, playing good defense. Uh, There are a lot of teams that are just, I don't remember who it was. Man, I wish I would write these down. But there was someone that quoted the Bills defense saying that that is a tough defense. That is a defense that is playing sound. Um, And that's what you get with the Bills. And then you have uh, Miami, who's going to be in this complete rebuild, and they have a lot of ammo. Can they fire their guns off at the right time? That's all it comes down to. There's no other division like it, and I'm really excited to see what's going to happen post Brady and what Belichick is going to decide to do.
1: It's going to be, it's going to be interesting, man. But uh, the last thing I wanted to touch about with this, you talk about the division real quick. Is LaShawn McCoy got traded? To the Can- got um, cut and signed a one-year, four million-dollar deal with the Kansas City Chiefs. fan uh, it's it's a wait-and-see approach because. Andy, it's fantasy wise. Andy Reid's going to take a. Andy Reid's going to elevate one one of these running backs to elite fantasy. It will be McCoy, Damian Williams, Darwin Thompson. Will D If you still have stock in him, just wait and see. Approach. But the main thing that it does in this is that it opens up. All the all, most of the carries for our boy Devin Singletary in Buffalo, and we don't want to spend a long time doing this, because we have to get to football, it's a lotus to get to a football. But uh, let's let's just do a quick just quick thoughts, quick round of applause for our boy Devin Singletary, getting RB one, gonna be a great gun. It's it's just it's just perfect, man. All the stars are lining up for the Bills to be amongst the most watched teams for myself this year.
0: All uh, he does is score touchdowns, bro. Yes,
1: yes, he does, and I think that's all you need to be said about him. Just just want to do a quick shout out to him. Just, just because we love, love, love watching you play, and we love the Buffalo Bills, let's get, let's get, let's get into some, let's get to some, uh, some college football. Let's start with Florida State. We're both alumni. Well, I'm alumni. You're soon to be alumni. You worked for this team just last year. You were in the stadium for the game, and I don't even know where you're going to start. But before we get in, before I get into any of this, any of the nit and gritty of fire Willie Taggart and fire Barnett, all these things. Shut up. shut up, all of you, my cousins included, my family, my friends, all that. Just shut up. Let the guy do is let the guy do is supposed to do. We're we're also spoiled as a Florida State fan base that we think that you know that Jimbo was eleven and one 11 and two every single year. He wasn't. It was a terrible watch at the first. But you, remember all you FSU fans? You probably weren't FSU fans back then. You guys probably weren't even college football fans back then until you decided to get drunk at these tailgates all the time. None none of the FSU fans wanted Jimbo as their head coach after his offensive coordinator. Consistently, consistently, just let down by Jimbo Fisher. And everyone wanted him gone. And guess what? One started recruiting, putting his stamp on the team and the in the program, the culture, 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 won a national championship. And guess what? Every one of those games, you look in the stands, you'd see full crowd in the student section the whole time. My last year working equipment when Jameis left and you know, instead of being a 13-1, 13-0, 14-0 team, we went to a 10-3 team. Student section, student section was bare before the game, filled up for halftime, and then everyone left. So, and the same thing happened on Saturday. It was a great, you were there. It was completely packed student section. Halftime came, I'm like, oh, that's pretty empty. You know, yeah, we're comfortably upset. Uh, we're comfort We have a comfortable lead right now. But you're still really, you're not going to show up, and you're going to leave, and you're going to get on Twitter and complain and do all these things, just not even talking on-field stuff. Because you know, we're all fans. We all have a right. I mean, I have, I'm a fan too. I'm talking about it right now. But just shut up, especially when you're a student and you're a student and you're not going to show up and support this team fully. It's, it's just that it's, it's, it's simple. Noah, you were there. You give me your whole thoughts on the experience of watching your friends celebrate the Boise State victory in Tallahassee. And then we'll get into some – and then you can you can start where you want the conversation to start, with the good or the bad or just wherever.
0: It was disappointing. The I will say this on the whole leaving at halftime thing. It was a noon game in August in Tallahassee. It was very hot. Very hot.
1: So are you using that as an excuse? or no, are you just
0: I'm saying some people left because we were up and the heat was not worth it. I contemplated leaving and I was like, I ain't leaving because Boise State's too good of a team for me to leave right now. This game is not over. That's just want to put that out there because I was in the stands. I'm used to the Tallahassee heat, but it was hot, especially uh, sitting on those metal bleachers.
1: Two quick questions before you do that. Yeah. If it was so hot, how come no one from Boise left? It was a lot of Bronco fans still there. And secondly, I just typed in the weather for Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and it is going to be ninety ninety-five 95 degrees that time of at noon kickoff today, and they wouldn't leave. I'm not saying I know. I know you're just, you're trying to defend him. Not defend him. You're just trying to like give him something. But
0: I'm just giving you some some substance on why a lot of people were probably easily like, yeah, I'm gonna leave because I even talked to my roommate and he said he was like, oh, we're up thirteen. Yeah, I'm leaving. It's too hot. And then people wake up and l- go back home, fall asleep because they're exhausted. Wake up, see that we lost, and they're okay. Um, in terms of the game, first half. Best play calling I've seen from FSU in the Taggart era. We put all of our athletes, all of our great, our, the receiver depth we have is unreal. The running back depth we have is unreal. We put all of that on display in the first half. Long touchdown to Terry, number 15. Long touchdown to Keyshawn. Big throw um, to Warren Thompson, who is a redshirt freshman, Big, big, the youngest big receiver that FSU has. Trey McKinney got involved. Cam Akers showed off his wheels. Kalen Laborn touched the ball. Um, can't leave out... What is his name? Uh, DJ Matthews, number seven. Electrifying punt returner. Got to show off of some of his skills. You know, we were showing off everything that we could do. And it was working. But the thing is, is a lot of them were off of big plays. And big plays are not reproducible. They're not sustainable. As great as big plays are, because they can be demoralizing for the other team... For example, when I'm playing Madden, I'm less scared of someone that just gets a deep play over the top of me than someone that's just sustaining dry play after play after play after play after play. Because I can make adjustments and stop the deep ball and keep everything in front of me. But if you're just consistently getting four to six yards a play, and you're getting second and three, first and ten, second and two, first and ten, second and five, Third and one, first and ten, touchdown. Like, that is hard to stop, and that's what happened. Boise was just making mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. FSU kept capitalizing it. My girlfriend even said something like, these two teams are not playing well, and it's not about who's playing better, it's about who's not going to play worse. FSU did not make the adjustments needed because they felt comfortable in their lead. After After Florida State went up... 31-13, 31-13, 18 points. I put my hands in my head, and I was like, this feels like the Miami game from last year. Everyone was comfortable. They thought that they had it in the bag. Crowd was bumping. Everyone. Everyone checked out at halftime. Boise State fans checked in. Boise State players checked back in. They were not nearly as exhausted in the second half as they looked in the first half. Florida State looked exhausted in the second half
1: well the defense was on the snap for 106 plays and Boise State got 38 first downs and it's the same problems defensively from last year offensively too with same dif- problems last year we can't stop the inside run and we can't stop the pass across the middle the schematics issues I don't know because we we can we have the athletes to run man and in our secondary but they're not stepping up and I think it just comes down to, it, defensively, man, I think it just comes down to poor linebacker talent. Uh, if you look at our defenses, no one, start, no one started complaining about Charles Kelly until Telvin Smith and Terrence Smith left. And since then, our linebackers have not been good. We have a safety, the top, top two safety from his recruiting class, a five-star, playing inside linebacker because it's so barren. The talent depth is so barren there. And guess what? Teams like Boise who have v- very well coached, disciplined, big offensive linemen and a powerful running back like Mahone, they're going to get the ball at him 24 times and he's going to and, and get 142 yards and two touchdowns. If you think you want to fire Barnett, how about this? How about you let Barnett get the linebacker talent he needs? And, all, and that stuff happened. Because his defense forced three turnovers. Good for them. But they But their linebackers are just not good enough to cover in space, tackle in space, and shed blockers. This is going to speak to the problem the whole season, and it's it's going to be like this. Offensively, it was awesome. You know, like you said, the, this is what you want in the Kendall Browse offense, big plays in the ground game, the passing game, and you simplify it, but all of those touchdowns except maybe, except uh, your boy Keyshawn Helton's long touchdown. All of them were missed tackles and just missed assignments and mental mistakes and very un State-like style of play. So watching this game, I'm just first, I'm like, you know, we're getting we're getting big plays. I'm celebrating these big plays and stuff, but I don't know. It's, it's just, you could just feel, not even in the stadium, you could just feel just watching the game at home that, you know, Boise State's just going to constantly pick up. And you lost to a true freshman who had 430 for 51, 407 yards a touchdown and a pick and like you said, he got hit so much and just kept delivering pass after pass on target. And what's scary looking ahead to next year is that we have to go to Boise State and play this team and I don't see any way how we're favored in that game. But I don't want to go too far ahead. Just any any more I mean, we had a couple – this said like four days to sit and marinate with us and our thoughts and stuff. So do you have any thoughts outside of, the, outside of what you said? or are you exci- I, Did the first half give you some hope for the, for the rest of the season moving forward and stuff like that?
0: In terms of looking at what the team can – what the offense can utilize, if it can utilize its, its playmakers, the offensive line looked a lot better. Um, but play calling went vanilla in the second half. They can still, they ran, they ran the, uh, the double, they ran a reverse. And then right after the reverse, they picked up 15 yards on the reverse. They ran a double, uh, they ran a bubble screen and then a double pass off of it. And it was dropped. The double pass was dropped, but it would have been a 35 yard gain. If any breaks, One he had one tackle to break. And if he breaks that tackle, Terry scoring, but he dropped the ball, hit him right in the chest. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of talent on this offense. The offensive line is serviceable enough. Jay Black can throw the ball. It was not a question of, "Oh, Jay Black's not good enough," or "Jay Black's making too many mistakes," or "Jay Black's doing this," or, you know, the only mistakes that were being made is that Jay Black kept thro- kept chucking it deep three straight times on on first second and third down on three straight possessions and we're punt 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 and only took 45 seconds off the clock. When you're up 12, 18, 11, whatever it may have been, but you're not helping your defense out because you forced them to be on the field for over a hundred plays because you don't know how to play with a lead and help your defense out and get them off the field. That was my issue. You should have been trying to wear that Boise state defense down in the heat. And mm. they just kept trying to get big plays. They're like big plays We're working in the first half. Let's get more big plays. It's like, nah, there's only you met your quota for big plays. But all the big plays that you made were, like, Cam Akers' big run was on a fourth and one that broke. He broke through the first line, gone. Terry was on a bubble screen. He broke one tackle, and then no one was catching him down the sideline. Like you said, it, 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 they weren't designed big plays that were happening other than the Keyshawn Helton touchdown.
1: And that's the thing with this offense is, yes, they weren't moving extremely fast. But there was still no temp. There was still tempo to it. There was still, you know, Blackman having to make some quick lines, quick reads at the line of scrimmage. But that's the problem with the spread offense. Sometimes is that you seek out those explosive plays. That sustaining drives are so difficult, and you don't have that like six seven minute drive that you know that gives your offense confidence and stuff like that. Like it was just, it was just a very weird game. Am I shocked at the result? No. FSU was four and a half point favorites. It was wiped off the board when the game was relocated to Tallahassee but uh yeah man it was disappointing there's no there's no way around the disappointment after starting that starting that strong and getting outscored 17 nothing in the in the second half not putting up any points um but the, and there's just so many miscues that led to it you have not even two Jaden Woodby touchdowns call back because the slightest arm movement forward you, and either of those Stake confirmed as touchdowns rightfully overturned. FSU wins. FSU's driving inside Boise State's five, like I think they're at the seven-yard line on third and goal. Blackman's trying to get the people lined up. I'm like, why aren't they calling a timeout? Ball snapped right by him to the 30-yard line. Aguayo made the 40. The 40 push. So I feel good for him. That's points. That's points left on the table. Then you have FSU maintaining their lead. And they get a fumble inside the five, and two FSU players, instead of just falling on it, try to scoop it up. One of them actually knocked the ball away from each other. Boise State recovers inside the five. They score the play later, and they take the lead. There's so many, so much things had to go wrong for FSU to lose, and they all went wrong. And it's not a shock. It's the second time in the history that FSU's ever blown an 18-point lead. And both of them have happened in the past year. Last year to Miami, like you said, this year to Boise State. So hold on. I didn't mean to go on that rant to start the to start the FSU segment, but I it's just a lot of frustration on social media and talking to people and stuff like that. That they're not really given the time and the student section's have been terrible for years and it just continues to be just, just, just continues to be ter- terrible. Uh, but my I only think
0: last closing yes? thought is that the last points that were on the board for Florida State was the Keyshawn Helton touchdown. That happened with 4:07 left in the second quarter. The second quarter. Not a single point was put on the board after that. That's my issue. No field goals. No touchdowns, sustaining drives. No big plays. And I know the defensive touchdowns got called back, but, like, to go... Thirty-four minutes and seven seconds, with nothing to show for it. That's that's just awful.
1: They had six hundred twenty-one yards. They had double, exactly double the amount of first downs as us, and over double the time of possession. You know, it, it's honestly it is a it is kind of shocking that if you look at the stats that Florida State was even in this game. But it should have been a win. Coulda, shoulda, woulda. Always, can always say that stuff about a bunch of games. But there were some other uh, college football stuff that happened this weekend. Uh, Wasn't the biggest first weekend. This Week two is going to be phenomenal. We'll, a quick look ahead. LSU, Texas, Saturday night. And Texas A&M at Clemson, 3.30 on Saturday. You have FAU, UCF. There's some other good games in this. But we're going to just talk about week one. Oregon versus Auburn was the big game. Uh, Oregon looked great. Justin Herbert looked like he looked like a top five pick. The way he was zooming the ball, the arm strength, the mobility, everything, controlling of the offense. Uh, unless it's a Mariota thing, which we're not going to get into the pro prospects in right now. But true freshman Bo Nix rallies Auburn back, gets two two passes within um, twenty seconds to get the big the big touchdown pass to win the game. Big one of the big bright spots for the SEC because Tennessee and Mizzou. Lost terrible games. Kelly Bryant from Missouri, Missouri, the former Clemson transfer, looked terrible, losing to Wyoming, and then Tennessee with one of the biggest upsets I've honestly ever losing to a two and ten Sun Belt team last year in Georgia State, losing at home. That's terrible. But Auburn scored a nice win for them. What do you did you watch this game?
0: I watched parts of it, yes.
1: And during those parts, what did you what did you take away from those parts you watched?
0: SEC speed still kills. It doesn't really matter. Like, I was impressed. Do you know Bo Nix actually kind of reminded me a little bit of how Sam Ellinger looked his freshman year at Texas? Um, I just, think
1: Nix can throw the ball. I think Nix is a, can throw the ball a lot better and has a, and is a better athlete. Bo Nix, impre- there were two true freshmen. Three true freshman quarterbacks impressed me last this uh, this past week. Bo Nix, the dude from Boise State, and the guy from North Carolina who's committed to FSU, transferred to North Carolina, and was the true freshman starting quarterback. I'm trying to figure
0: out his name. The true freshman quarterback for Boise was always on the ground, and they protected him in the second half, and he delivered. There were times where Boise... Just not to recap back to the Boise FSU game, but there were times whenever he was getting pressure on him, he was not enjoying it at all. At all. He was not having fun. There were times where we would rush three. Not three fresh pass rushers. Three gassed pass rushers. It was essentially a 7-on-7 with no time limit. And he just picked the defense apart. Um, He did a great job. I was thoroughly impressed. Um, With the... Auburn Oregon game it's just Bo Nix was awesome like we said he I, and what I mean like he reminded me of Sam Ellinger is the way in which he carried himself Sam Ellinger never and when I watched him his freshman year at Texas never the bright lights never faced him and for Bo Nix to start in a game like that at Auburn and win come from behind and win that's Auburn's finally has hopefully has their best quarterback. Obviously, week one overreactions, but has a promising quarterback since Cam Newton. And I'm not saying he is Cam Newton, but since Cam Newton, Auburn has not had a good quarterback. Nick Marshall was it, but he didn't. It, it, it's, it was more that read option, that uh, spread offense that was working for them, not because he was being able to slice and dice. Bo Nix can kind of do it all for Gus Malzahn's offense. I Auburn's going to upset some teams in the SEC. I don't know if they're going to be able to be at the top of the top, but they're going to upset some teams. Um, I think by the time Alabama comes around, that, man, that Iron Bowl is going to be awesome again this year. Yeah,
1: well, they play Tulane, Kent State, then at Texas A&M, host Mississippi State, at Florida, then two weeks later at LSU. Then two weeks later they're at they host Georgia, and then two weeks after that they play, host Bama. So they're tough. They're most of their t- outside of A and I mean, outside A M, Florida and LSU. <laughs> the rest of their schedule games are at home. But I mean, their schedule is so daunting. But this is a good start, and and this isn't about year. This isn't about now. This is about year two and three. And you saw Auburn's just NFL defensive front just take over that game the second half. There was nowhere to go for Herbert and Oregon and company and stuff like that. Did you get – so you didn't get to watch a lot of college football?
0: No, I did not. I was at the game, and then – You
1: didn't. honestly you, you didn't miss much. You didn't miss much. Uh, I was following your scores. Your mm-hmm, Cornhuskers, your Cornhuskers scores did not look good. Uh, I don't know no. if they were saving stuff for Colorado and other schools, but uh, – Dude, Justin Fields had four touchdowns in the first six minutes of the game. That guy is – unbelievable man i didn't realize how big he was i know i know i had that reaction on the pod last week reading about his his height then i saw him play and i'm like oh my god
0: it's like a this guy prior braxton miller like you said
1: yeah he's like Dwayne haskins jt barrett and braxton miller all in one and i don't i don't i don't see it man i don't see anyone i don't see anyone stopping that offense not not a chance um but you want to do a quick look ahead? I mean, not really a look ahead of the weekend. We we can do that on a later pod this week because there's there's a couple. Let me look at the slate of games real quick. And the guy from North Carolina was Sam Howe. and,
0: and F- F- Boise's <laughs> Hank Bachmeyer, who went thirty of fifty one in four oh seven.
1: Mm hmm. Boise plays Friday at Marshall. Let me look at these games real quick. If there's any other S- Syracuse, Maryland? I think that's a pretty sleeper of a good game. Cincinnati, Ohio State, it's going to be a good game. Nebraska, Colorado will not be watched because it's the same time of Texas A&M-Clemson. UCF-FAU, that's going to be a fun game. Um, LSU-Texas, what's Pac-12? Pack hey, you ready for Pac-12 pack after dark? Always. Stanford-USC.
0: Always. And that here, game never disappoints.
1: And here's the other good thing is that Oregon State plays Hawaii at midnight, so we'll have football till 3:30 a.m. Um, yeah, I think I think that's it for this one. You have anything else to add, Noah? No, not NFL, right now. NF, all right. Uh, yeah, this this is going to be up Wednesday morning. It'll be up; should be up very shortly. We'll have a NFC North slash game one of the NFL season Packers Bears preview. We'll have that tomorrow morning for you guys, and then on Friday morning we'll have a college. We'll go through the big college games real quickly, and then we'll do a full-on NFL prediction ones. We'll preview. We're going to have to do like a minute or two on each game. It's going to be tough to condense it to an hour, but we'll try to get done. This is what we do here at the no Ordinary Pod. Noah, you have yourself a good day?
0: Oh, thank you. It's just nice to be back on the no Ordinary Pod.
1: Absolutely. A little week, little six-day hiatus, but hey, you have family, you have people in town. Labor Day weekend, a hurricane to worry about for a couple of days. It's all good. We're back. We're rolling. Writing's coming up tonight. I'm doing it tonight. I'm gonna have it up tomorrow. I'm holding myself accountable for that. And everyone, subscribe on iTunes. I mean Apple Pod, Spotify, Twitter, SoundCloud, all that stuff. And I'm Michael Duggar from No Hemer. This is an ordinary pod. Thanks for checking us out.